Kia everybody, what's up? It is Rebet. We have not planned, we are ready to go. Friends are meeting friends and we're live. Dion, introduce the show. <laughs> Welcome everybody. Welcome to Old Rope. Yeah, uh, uh, an idea thrown together um, by Rebet and myself. Yeah, really about, what is it? A little bit of a poorly uh, misguided advice from some old guys, apparently. Yes. It was your, it was, look, it was your idea. I'm just the tech support. And yes. we have some banter in between. And I'll, yes. let me introduce our, our fellow guests. Um, uh, we have Mr. Carl Budge, um, director, founder at um, The Experience Live. Is that right? The Experience Live? Live Experience? The live Experience. Live experience. Oh, that's all right. Live Experience. Oh, the, the website email gets me a bit funky from time to time. And then Bruce Pilbrow, Chief Transformation Officer at Yellow. But no one's wearing their business hats today. Everyone is wearing their free oh, hats, so no one gets... Oh, yeah, actually, there you go. Is that some spare merch there, Pudge? Yeah, yeah. We, we, too we've soon. got a bit left <laughs> too over. Soon. Actually, too soon? Okay, okay. Hey, just so we Real get... The, it. Yeah, just so we get the pecking order right, because uh, I think it's important, you know, hierarchy and everything. Who is actually the oldest here? You. I, Am I? Do we yeah, conclude I, that, you? You've got the oldest children. We know that, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're the oldest. <laughs> I, okay, well, I'm just going to call it out because I'm not ashamed of because I, I think I'm very beautiful for my age, to be honest with you. But I'm 52, so. Oh yeah, you are. I'm still. I'm 48. <laughs> what are you? 40. 48. 48. And what's Carl look about? 18. How, how 12. 12 with his with, uh, like he's frozen because he's on <laughs> you'd think for the, for the million dollar <laughs> you'd think for the million dollar mansion in Omaha he'd have a better connection in the, the flipping garage backdrop yeah yeah and he's out, he's, yeah it's 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 perspective though you know yeah, should yeah. I just, just I'm just gonna kick budge off and make him come back in <laughs> <laughs> I know I know how young Rebet is because when I'd retired and I was starting to work in some TV show, um, I went down and Rebet was an 18-year-old young punk snowboarding down in Queenstown. And uh, I just have <laughs> very fond memories of that, Rebet. I just remember thinking, man, this dude's got a little bit of X Factor going on. Um, so oh. I wasn't wrong. No, it was Sportsa, 2004. What did you, what did you teach me? To, teach me to do some sort of move like on extreme my... air time, and then you were <laughs> interviewing me for it. Oh, oh sorry, but um, but Budgie's back from um from Budgie from your two G. What's going on? I was giving you your Omaha <laughs> shit. It was the downside of um of being yeah, as Dion rightfully pointed out, kicked out to the garage, so it gets a bit shaky at it. <laughs> So uh, whilst, just very quickly, I know we're just shooting it, but um, so I can't imagine what um, Robert would be like as a sort sort of hormoned, ripe eighteen-year-old. Uh, well, he God. well he had well he had hair. I'll get and he had lots of hair. Um, but no, he was well. He was quick-witted, quick with the, he, but very just very laid back, very popular on the mountain. Everywhere we went, everyone was Rebet, Rebet. It was like, yeah, oh, yeah. Like the king of the mountain, you know. So, um, but I, I have to give Rebet some some props. It, he was a beautiful rider, and I'm a, I'm an ignoramus on the slopes, but he just had a style and a, a, a slickness to his riding that was pretty pretty cool to watch. And this was quite cool. Riding bicycle? <laughs> <laughs> while, while playing the clarinet, Bruce. Snowboards. Snowboards. I've never yeah. seen a guy toboggan quite like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know. I've done oh, I've done the so Google. Good. I've done the Google. Um old right. Oh sorry, and then obviously Dion, this is your show. But we have we've got some points that we wanted to talk through because I think we need structure as the show just goes way left. 
Um, the first one, and we won't say who's brought up the different talking points for today, was should we start off with, um, do you want to talk health or do you want to talk sport? Votes? Oh, either or. Health. health. Okay. Is New Zealand being too cocky about our response and why do so many see it as competition with Australia and Ireland? Well, this is my question. I'll, I'll fess up because I, I I follow Raven Khan on um, Twitter. And shout out to Raven if he's watching. He's probably I'm sure he's a million miles away. But um, and and there's this a little bit of a comparing us to Australia and 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 uh, Ireland seems to be another one. And uh, <clears throat> it just occurred to me. I sort of I just I, I cheekily asked Raven on 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 Twitter if I said like um you know. Just asking, asking for a friend, but is this a competition now or something? Um, which um, is ironic for anyone who watched me play sport because I was relatively. <laughs> but, um, but I do just wonder, you know, whether we are just getting out in front of it a bit much. I mean, clearly it's a serious issue um, for people's health. You know, another couple of people died today. Um, it's no joking matter, but. Um, and and, it, and there's a natural tendency to look across the ditch and look at other places and compare ourselves. But I just sort of, I feel like this is a really long road, you know, and I don't want being ahead so far to, to date or in, in doing well today doesn't pre mean you're going to be doing well later. And, and I think you've got to roll into the health story, the, the wealth and economy mm. and the impacts that are coming because they're going to impact health. Um, and I just think there's a much longer story here, and I, I just don't know that it's healthy. You know, back to health, back to health uh, uh, to be comparing. I think be proud of what we've done, but gee, I'm I, you know, I'm I get more worried by the day as to what's going to mean for us uh, economically and then health wise. You know, mm. I think your point on that, Dion, to kick off with was you talked about. Um, on two shows ago was is this the start middle of the end right mm. and so then the, the mindset taken into it is like this is the end of the start but then we've got the start of a long end but mm. um, good good kick off yeah one of the things we've been saying to our people um at staff i guess is is live your own bubble i mean mm. there's the there's the rule of the land um that we have to follow but live your own bubble so what i mean by that so next week some schools will go back and some don't so the last thing you want is a, a, a pack of New Zealanders judging the ones that send their kids to school versus keep them at home, right? So live your own bubble. Yeah. And I, I think back on what you're saying there, Dion, and always so wise, mate. <laughs> I think that's the same with New Zealand, right? We, we, we're, we're unique. You know, I mean, Italy had borders. It's got borders all around it. You know, yeah. we, we are an island. We are unique. Um, it's, you know, it's hard to get to us. It's born on the earth. You know, so live our own bubble and... and um, have we done well? Yeah, I, I guess the numbers are, are pointing in the right direction. But I agree with you, mate. I think there's no bragging rights until probably 12 months from now as to how have we done economically, how's the mental health in New Zealand gone. There's a there's a whole bunch more measurables that have to come. So yeah, I, I, I read a really interesting um, an interesting article uh, over the weekend around the impacts of. Um, of uh, the financial crisis in, in in the early 2000s or late first decade of the 2000s and it's a bit of a morbid subject so sorry boys but the suicide rates in the uk linked directly to uh to uh, you know to, to the issues falling out of the, uh, the economic crisis that that followed there uh and it dwarfs anything that we're experiencing through COVID 19 and and that sort of got my mind thinking in a slightly different way around going 
you know, to your point, Dion, this is this is just the start, you know, and and, and beating the invisible beast is, uh, as Mr. Trump likes to call it, the invisible enemy. Um, yeah, is only one part of it, but uh, you know, getting back to any form of normality and how we how we navigate mm-hmm. through that process, I think, is the, the the next big challenge in front of us too. And I think that's where I would pick up, Carl, is that I don't like the personally I like the language around the enemy or fighting a war. Uh, which has been sort of been used in Trump and a few others internationally. I, I think, um, I think that they, they, a war and enemies again its own bubble. This is this is something that's I think a lot more systemic and a lot deeper, um, and way more agnostic. Like like it, it affects us all differently in different ways. Mm-hmm. So uh, I agree, mate. I I think we live our bubble. We do what we do well, and um, and that's what we. Well, you know, one of the things I like, I've been big. I think my one of my biggest learnings later in life after sport was a little bit about I, I just feel very much community is key. Um, yeah, to, to community is key to raising your kids, it's key to building a business, it's key to just having a healthy relationship with the world, um, and society. And I just feel like we've had the we're really pulling apart or stretching the ability to, to tap into and, and and have your communities, and and that's and that's um, how how we put that back together and 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 how and when it when it when the ability to put it back together comes, it's going to be really key because um, you know community keeps you on a level keel, it keeps you healthy, it gives you support. Um, you know, it keeps you occupied, it gets you jobs, it gets you connections, all those types of things. So, I don't know, I, I feel like we've got to be very careful. Really just endorsing, I think, what everyone else is saying. I think yeah. going forward, we're being really sort of on it, you know. Mm. Devil's advocate to, the, to that, though, is when if you're in New Zealand and you're looking up to the world and you've seen so much, like, you know, death and destruction, and then you've got these positives, glimmer of hope, what point has it been, you know, drinking too much of the Kool-Aid to being, you know, um, to like yes we've blah 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 at the same time of like at some point for some that's going to be good to feel momentum that they're in a more positive space it's at least some glimmer of hope and positivity so yeah i mean i said i totally said on both sides but i know that when a lot of kiwis looking at the world like holy shit i'm so glad we're here but then simultaneously you know i, I was talking about it earlier today when you see that that thing with the mark and all you're just like oh we're winning it's just an instinctual thing of like competition like the black line wins mean so you feel, you know? But it's also a little. I was going to say it's also though it's a little bit of sort of political point scoring at the moment rather than winning. So even when internally people that are shouting loudest about winning, it's really a it's really a shouting down of another opinion. Um, Mm. So I don't know that it's true celebration, if you know what I mean. Uh, That's that's part of the negativity that I see with it. If it was genuine celebration for new zealand i i would feel better about it but i just don't believe that, that it, the majority of it is that i feel like there's a a real angle to it it's just not appropriate i think to celebrate yeah, yeah no. no one um no no one seems to uh i don't, I don't know for me you, you don't start trumpeting by winning qualifying um <laughs> i kind of feel like that's where we're at at the moment yeah you know, like yeah yep we're, we're in a good spot right now but there's a long way to go and um uh, GI. Uh, I don't want to cut you off, but every my my staff will laugh at me because we can't get through a meeting without me la- land and tabling a sporting analogy. And I, I, <laughs> I suspect you're a little bit the same. <laughs> I've got one. I think my highest mark in school C was fifty four percent, mate. So I'm I'm pretty shit out of other ideas, to be fair. <laughs> so, 
And somehow yeah. that was in science, which I, I really don't know how analogy, that it's the, no, There's something to that, right? Like people always talk about it's a, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, game of two halves, this, that. If you break it down, it's the same thing. You know, some people are celebrating like it's been, you know, just a, a quick swim race right to the end of the pool. And the reality is, you know, this shit's going to be a marathon. There's going to be bumps and turns and there could be second waves. It could be hidden little pockets, whatever, right? Like you just need to, I think, keep more of a even keel to it. But it has been interesting just instinctively feeling a bit i don't know if it's competitive against others or proud for yourself that's it like for us as as unity you know don't know i really like the way that um, you had richard dallenbach on your show the other day and then that guy's um an incredibly bright guy i love listening to him speak but uh i loved his the way he phrased it. he said you know we, we may have the most stable ship in the world um but we're as stable as our ship is it's uh it's on a very very big ocean and um yeah i think we're in this, yeah. You know, as much as this is our bubble, and we've got to look after our bubble, we're we're one bubble amongst many, many bubbles. And um, yeah, you know, until until we're all through this, so I don't think our bubble is going to go back to any degree of normality anytime soon. Mm. I think the other thing is to pick on Dion's um, point too. Uh, pick up on Dion's point, not pick on it because it's a good point. Um, you know, there's action, and you know, there's I'm a big believer as we are, sort of action and consequences, right? So. Yeah, our government decided to act quicker than some, and I guess you could argue that the consequences of that are what we're seeing now. But there's no point comparing it to say again. I find where I find that breaks down is when you do compare it to Australia or Ireland, because again, you're not doing a like for like comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, because we are an island that is separated from everything else, and we have and we have four and a half million in a very spread out way. Um, so yeah, I just I just keep coming back to you know let's live out bubble let's do let's look after our nation the best we possibly can our people as you said embrace community and think about how we collectively can kickstart this thing again um, with with a sense of hope but, but the, the, what's the best for New Zealand yeah when we get out and this is one thing I've been talking about a little bit is the second wave of down may not be health it's going to be that that next wave of finance and commerce of businesses that shut down and and those who have been on the subsidy that now go back to a work that has a 70 percent decrease in revenue then all of a sudden that drops off a cliff so we are uh, celebrating the health can be one thing but then that next wave is then the the finances in the community and the mental health you know there's there's lots of battles not just the invisible virus or war whatever this thing is you know so i think we just need to be mindful that there's you know there's the business implications, then the, mm. the community implications, the mental health implications. You know, there's not just one battle being fought. There's a flipping shit ton of it, you know? I mean, money mm. click is be a big one. You know, so the thing is that you might be doing okay as a business right now and even selling. But um, if you've got any sort of 20th of the month, I mean, you know, we went through our 20th month the other day and there's a sense of, okay, how's it going to be? You know, uh, you might have yeah. sold the product but not, might not get the money. So there's, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get in. I don't want to get into the politics of it, but you know, I, you know, we all read um, what Deborah Russell's sort of oh, maybe misconstrued comments, right? And you, those, oh, you feel for MPs in those situations. You know, maybe she just got her wording of it wrong and, and was trying to make a larger point. But I do worry that that the people in government, whichever side um, they're coming from, or you know. Heaven, there's not a lot of voices for small, medium enterprises out there. No. Um, and, you know, even, even you know, getting people like, you know, this talk of Rob Fife and, and these other people coming in to advise, you know, that's great. They've got lots of knowledge. They're very, very, very capable, knowledgeable, successful people. But, um, you know, I, I think, Bruce, you shared those stats around 90% of enterprises are small, yeah. medium enterprises, 30% of the 
GDP, 30% employers or employees work for them. So it, it, they're huge numbers in terms of the impact on New Zealand. And I don't know that we've got a voice. And I just thought that comment yesterday sort of probably underlined just there's not the real understanding of what people are going through. And, and I, I feel like, you know, rather than getting up in arms about that comment and fighting it and calling names, I think that's a call to arms for, for people to raise just awareness, you know, just to actually start talking about what what we're actually going through out here and what's still to come. I keep telling my staff that the, the easy part was done, you know, the crisis. Two months from now, as you point out, Bruce, you know, that's when, when, we've, when we've got no customers and but we've depleted stock and we've got to build new stock in order to hopefully sell it and you're paying people their full wages again and all the rents have come back on and all of the stuff's all sort of happening once, but there's still no economy. That's when the real sort of challenge is going to come. And so that's all I hear about. And people who haven't, aren't in it and aren't going through it, they just don't understand it, you know. No. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think we collectively need to, to voice that, not not to promote our own businesses, but to sort of promote the cause of the for the greater economy, you know. It's like people need to know how hard it is. I mean, preparing for a global meltdown of this magnitude, um, you know, when the government didn't even have face masks, um, you, you know, is it, a bit rough, you know, and I feel like, but it's sort of indicative of what's, of, 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 of if you actually think the 97% of the, the, the enterprises, that's really a small number of people running them though, you know, it's only probably 100,000 people in the country who are actually running businesses who actually really understand how much pain we're about to go through. Mm. Exactly. Sorry, that's my own personal rant, was it? No, 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 no. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think just to be, um, I guess, um, this, how do you look at it optimistically? I think what's great here is that we're talking the reality, right? I think, I think to avoid that conversation, not have that conversation, or, or be vulnerable enough to sit in the discomfort of that conversation is not a good place to start. I think actually having that conversation like you bring it up to you on is a great place to start because then you can start to think about innovation or other ways of doing it. And when I think of small businesses in New Zealand, I think about how many people they employ. Those people therefore have their own households. They go and shop in their local shops. They buy from their local communities. They have their children. They support the schools. You know, it's really systemic how it runs through the whole. It's not as just as easy as... Um, bringing in some big hitters and going, oh, we should throw $50 million at it. No. <laughs> Hell, well, the, it's, it's, it's a lot. The reality of us um, getting back to normal is going to be so bloody hard too. I, I, I had a sort of down day yesterday, to be fair, coming, we'd, we'd had a big conference call around if we can get back to being um, getting a tour going, what that looks like. And we started talking through the, the health precautions that we're going to have to go through and what getting people to to gather again is going to look like uh, and it was just sort of overwhelming just understanding just how that normal that we once had was was not going to be back anytime soon that you know where the, the testing that's going to have to go on the hygiene practices that's going to have to go on how do we do food preparation for people yeah you know, it was really daunting and I, it was the first time probably for the four weeks that we've been on lockdown that i went from being man the events game is going to be awesome coming through this to go i still believe that but that journey is just, yeah, you know, it's not a matter of, of when we get active again. It's actually how we can how we can even um, survive being active is just so different. And I'm, I'm sure that's going to be the same for so many businesses now that it's just going to be a completely different space and consumers now a different experience. Um, you know, that it's, we've got a long way to go. 
it's the weight of visual change that will hit them that they may not be aware of now, right? Because after they get back out and they start seeing it, and then you know, there's just I think there's a bit of you know potential naivety to the realities of what's coming for those that are either employees or employers. Aside for this next bit, then to visually sit there and look at the stock and then the weight and the pressure, it's it's going to be a wave of gnarliness and and heavy, heavy. But it doesn't need to be as bad. I think that the key thing is that we've got to get testing going, right? Because testing's everything. If you can test people and prove that they're not sick, we can get back to work and you can get back to mingling. The whole thing is having people untested out there who you don't know. And I think people, we're not talking about Taiwan enough. Taiwan is, I was in Taiwan two days before the lockdown. Like, you know, I should have probably gone into isolation. You know, but, but it was like the, the whole thing about Taiwan was, I had my temperature tested up there. Probably, I was only there four days visiting my distributors and going around their their sites. And I had my not and without a word of a lie. In four days, I would have had my temperature tested 50, 60 times. Wow. I was I was body scanned at least four times. Um, you know, like what everywhere you went, there was hand sanitizer. Everyone was wearing masks on public transport. A little bit of social distancing practice, but not absolutely oh. everyone. Um, but they just had a collective way of getting through it, and I just think that if that and but the key is testing. If if you can turn up to work with a fever, and and if, and or and that, sorry, if you turn up to work and you've got a fever and you go and you get everyone sick, that that doesn't work, right? But if you can turn up and someone tests you and says, okay, you got a fever, go home, get tested, go into isolation, mm. taking mm. those, out, you can sort of get everyone else back to normality mm. or something of it. But yeah. I think. We've got to start thinking about how to do it normally because you, otherwise you just can't carry on indefinitely um, without. But but to me, it's that testing. You've got to get the testing going here. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Especially if they open up, especially if they start to relax the borders a bit too, right? So, yeah. um, and I guess that's the key thing, isn't it? Is, is over the next sort of month or two or whatever is exactly is how do we put ourselves in a position that, that we can catch and act fast. I was thinking about one of the things, you know, coming back into level three. I'm, I'm going to get one. Of, they're only probably fifty bucks, you know. One of those temperature tests. You don't have to touch. You just, just shoot the little laser and gets the temperature. Mm. But if you can, it tells you whether you're over. And I was just going to make all my staff before they can come into the office every day. They have to do the temperature test. And if they get, if they register, they go home straight away. They don't even come into the office. Mm. Get them. Get hand cleanser on entry. Hand cleanser on exit. Everywhere you go. You know, and I think just those small steps, if everyone collectively, if we start mm. to think like that, you know, um, and they're not as intrusive as you think. I, I think the guys, isn't the guys, um, the the people from Zuru, I think uh, the, um, the, Mo, the Mobrae, yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah. They were saying that uh, when they set up shop again back in China, that you basically, as you come into work, you basically went past the table and you sanitised, tested, and exactly what you're saying, Dion, there was just a, just become a bit of a normal practice as you walk into work. Um, and it's not nowhere near as intrusive as you think, as you say, Dion. I, I lived in Beijing um, during bird flu. Um, if I'm allowed to call that a swine flu, I think was the actual name. Um, and it, everywhere you went, you had these, you know, you were walking into offices, walking into malls, walking into public um, public transport. You were you went through heat scanners if you had an issue the way you went, and it, it just became so quickly it became your normal practice. No different to scanning your tube card going through the turnstiles. It's um it, it wasn't anywhere near as intrusive as as, as you might think it might be. It just mm. Mm. So I think what you're saying, Dion, is like, yep, you can 
you can um, the first part of the battle, I guess, in regards to putting some form of control and and slowing down the rate of community trans you know transmission and all that sort of stuff is is a good start. But then I guess the question then is what is the sustainability going forward and, and what are the two or three things we're going to do on a regular basis that make sure that we continue to have it under control because again the yo-yo thing or anything like that is only going to do more damage to small businesses so we we've started the path how do we continue that path so it continues to grow rather than you know uh, sort of a two steps forward one step back type scenario and i think that yeah did you not think that that's going to happen like say when they were very clear around what happened was this is two this is three this is four for you personally in your bubble do you think they're going to potentially do that for either mandated or regulation stuff for businesses as well coming out of this of like you know you have to have hand sanitizer at every single door you yeah, have to have this 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 like because there needs to be if it's if you're saying you know mandatory masks every door you walk in you need a hand sanitizer and any business you walk in you need that like is that how they mandated it um down over in taiwan when you were there like is that was it I, a government thing or was it a I don't, know, I don't know the answers to that. I know that I know some of it was because they had a tracing, they had a cell phone tracing thing. So, so it right. must have had a level of it. So, you went if you got temperature tested and you went to the hospital, you went straight to a hospital, or, or and then and then you got your test for coronavirus. If you if you were negative, so you weren't didn't have the virus, you got still got sent home for fourteen days isolation, and right. you had to lodge your cell phone to track that there's a three day three times a day you got checked on whether you're in your your isolation nice. if you tested positive you went off to the hospital uh, right. for, for the virus or whatever the, the, the situation so <clears throat> then there's definitely it was but they they had the benefit i mean taiwan has had the benefit of the swine flu and and, and the different things so they and they've also you know got this sort of um political situation with china so i think they are used to or having to sort of defend their borders almost um so but but we you know there's a lot to learn from them you know it's a small mm. environment with 23 million people so the, it's a huge success story you know there's no spare land it's not like you not like you know new zealand where you can go and run 150 meters and not see a person a kilometer and not see anyone you know it's people everywhere so they're doing something right Mm, that's good. That's a good case study. Mm. But um, anyway, enough of that because I wanted Rebecca to talk to you about. Have you watched this this um, uh, Michael Jordan thing? I'm halfway through the first episode. Wait, how on earth did you stop halfway, Bruce? Oh <laughs> being busy, but I just because um, we, I mean, well, you guys, most of us, except probably, well, we except Robert and Carl, possibly. But I mean, this was I grew up in this. I mean, this was. Oh my I mean, God. No, don't, 98, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, but what I didn't realise, I guess my naivety was the, I mean, even if you just look at the salary scale, you know, out of the $68 million package, 33 of it went to Michael Jordan, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scotty Pippen got 2.8 or something. Yeah. 127 yeah. highest paid player, and he was the sixth highest paid player on the team, and when Jordan wasn't there, he was the best in the NBA. It is so stuffed. It's insane to watch. Uh, how how intense was Jordan? I uh, oh. just I, I I I can't imagine what it must be like being around that guy. Like I, I kind of reckon it'd be equal parts absolutely inspiring and frustrating. Um, yeah, it, it, he was oh, a fascinating I, I, bloke. I just watched it and was just like, it just made me want to go and play sport. I was just like, I just loved his intensity. Everything about it was like. How could you not get swept along with it? You know, like I, I always wanted the whole time to get off the couch and just go, 
It's just like wasted my whole bloody life. You know what? I need to do something, achieve something. Is Masters games, You see how it came. You see how it came out, and then just before it, they were saying, "Oh, he was like, oh, I'm real worried. I'm going to come out like a real bad guy. I'm going to look like an asshole at this." And it's like, Uh, dude, if you are the greatest, your headspace is at a different level of shit. And straight away, as soon as you could see the way, like even just with the footage and just the way he was moving and his energy, you could tell it was like he was there for one reason: pure dominance. If if you're not in the flipping way, get on my level or piss off. Like it's flipping epic. But to get your own head to that state where you carry that much expectation and that much weight that you decide you're going to be the best player on the planet and you live up to it and you live up to your own... Five, six times, yeah. Um, mm. I, I can't... Who said in the documentary? Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan. Is that right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought that was one of the most telling comments as well, right? It was like, yeah. who are the biggest... Biggest personalities, or the only, or the one, you know, the main people that they'd ever come across in sport. And I remember as a teenager growing up through the eighties, or just hanging on to my teen years. Um, uh, you know, I mean, he was like, I think he was like the first guy that got a hundred million dollars because of all the endorsements from Nike and everything like that. Like it was just yeah. astronomical. Yeah. And of course, um, I mean, you would have been just a little baby. Uh, um, my bit, I had but, here. I had here. You know, but I, you know, we we bought our son when he was born. You know, little Jordan, Jordan shoes, and I mean, yeah. it was not. There's not. I don't think I can't think of anything like it. Actually, yeah. well, the legacy still today to go and see you. Know, you know, modern day greats. You know, the likes of a Neymar. Yeah, here he is wearing Paris Saint Germain is still sponsored by Michael Jordan or the Air Jordan brand, and yeah, you know, he he lives beyond in a in a completely different code in a completely different era on a completely different continent. Here is one of the biggest franchises in the world, world, not wearing the Nike tick but wearing the Air Jordan logo, and it's uh, it's phenomenal what he is. The legacy Scotty, of that man, Scotty Pippen, it seems like a really lovely man. Yeah, <laughs> but, but but Budgie, I was keen to ask you just from a business to like because you know there's the whole thing. Yeah, sure, he signed a eighteen million dollar seven year contract, right? And a contract's a contract. That's the whole argument, you know, that they've always said. But how and how from a business perspective, like just bad business in the end, right? Not not to acknowledge like that, not to think with two years to go, not with one year to go, but like at at year four. Into yeah, that yeah. not to not to just go back to him and say hey listen great but we we need to renegotiate it you're so short-sighted don't you think oh 100 i mean they they can sit back and say that the contract's a contract but you know it, look at what it caused them look at what you know the hurt that that business went through that the bad pr that the loss of um of scotty pippen singlet sales you know all of that stuff that they would have gone through during that time uh, mm. Yeah, it was it was outrageous and it it, it it was avoidable. And when you're talking, if the bloke was on 18 million, I think they said he was on 2.8 you know, for the first, and Jordan was on 32. And, and that, that going up by another 10, 12 million, it's it's rounding numbers for those guys. Well, you know, was, like, the the appreciation and the uh, the gesture, the commitment Pippen would have had then to that club, and yeah, you know, like, it, it blew like, my mind that that didn't come out. Yeah, yeah. I guess though, Bruce, you said there's a, there was a salary cap though, right? Sixty cents. Mm. Yeah. So there's probably not that much room left, right? So they they, they actually probably that's one thing to consider. But yeah, it did. So we all face that in our everyday life, right? Yeah, you know, we've all got you know staff budgets that we've got to stick to and all that. But when you've got someone that's critical to your business success, you find a way. 
I'm the world's worst event manager. If, if I don't have a shit-hot event manager next to me, I'm going to be screwed. So I know where I'm spending my money. Mm. Yeah, you've got to do it. So that um, brings us to a question then. So that you've just, I'm, I'm just going to segue, but in the same spot. So when you've got staff, um, you know, you have pace. I mean, if you've worked in corporate, and I haven't done a lot of corporate, corporate stuff, but, you know, they have pay scales or pay, uh, pay bands. You know, they have fairly formulaic methodology. But you kind of go, what does um, creative genius sort of look like, or what does someone, hmm. you know, you know, how do you? And I think that's been the problem with with the whole Jordan thing, right? Was that you know they could have gone through the whole pay band thing, said, look, every player is going to be paid five million dollars, but then you had someone there that not only grew the sport and the team and the intensity, obviously he he drove it to success, but as a brand, you know, he would have made that club zillions of dollars. <laughs> Just, and that you know. was with the growth of it too, right? And that's where it got even more contentious because it was very clear yeah. that he goes, Jordan, the Bulls become a thing, global beetle shit, NBA goes rocket, and then he still sits right. on the seventh year and he's still just getting steamrolled. So you could see the, this, it must be such a funky tension of like, I'm here for Jordan, I've got Jordan's back and we're going to one-two this shit out of loyalty to him, but I'm just getting screwed, but I'm going to play the long game. And unfortunately, obviously he got, got that next spin, but there was no reason in the Don't fourth come. year they could have gone, okay, let's reset. Let's do another long-term yeah. one from here and do it. So it was clear that there was a dick move on the other side, but it was kind of... Yeah, it's hard. Because from a pure business perspective, you know, if you think about what Jordan did for the game, you could argue, I'm not, not arguing this, that he was actually quite cheap. Yeah, you know, do you think about what he did for, for, for basketball, what he did for the Bulls, the ticket sales, the merchandise sales, what he did for Nike, all that sort of stuff. In regards to a talent off the field as much as on the field, a pure piece of brand genius. Um, you know, you could argue that $33 million was a drop in the bucket. But that, this is is one the, the other side is that's is the whole, it takes a team. And I think one of the guys made the comment, wasn't it? It was a little short guy. He's got short man syndrome. Jerry, <laughs> but it's, yeah. Yeah. But I yeah, felt sorry for him because right. he did some dick moves, but he's not here to back him, to justify himself. So, unfortunately he doesn't have a say right like yes there's you know everyone was saying that it was oh, very clear that, yeah it was very clear yeah. that he was he did a lot of dumb shit and the egos some more message and whatever all that other stuff but i i just felt like it's kind of almost unfair then 20 years later throw the flipping hammer down everyone's like oh that guy's just a dick stuff that dude and he's like not here to defend himself so you kind of feel like mm -hmm. you know maybe the owner should have stepped in to say did some different things on his behalf and not just you know mm -hmm. i don't know there's mm -hmm. i, I never like the, the peculiarities of sport though too guys yeah. Are, yeah. Maybe I'm way too close to this, but to me, we're so staunch to our rule books, and you know, the, the rule book, you know, we get ahead by breaking those rules. You know, the, the the best the best of us are the ones that have gone outside the traditional. And you know, to me, those extraordinary circumstances need to be dealt with in a different position. And you know, where some when you've got someone like like Michael that was transforming the game, he you know. He, he was bigger than the game. And you can argue that no one's ever bigger than the game, but there's certain times where they're pretty bloody close. And how mm. do you treat that? I'm not sure yet. At what point do they earn their right to be different? At what but point also, do they... It's so to, hard. To your point, you know, the dynasty of the Bulls is, was as important to the NBA as, as, as anything, right? So if Jordan had just gone for the money everywhere out and won six or seven titles, but for six or seven teams... Mm. It, would, it yeah. wouldn't have, I would argue, wouldn't have had the same impact. There's something about a dynasty, and that's where that's where Scotty Pippen and all the other guys who came in behind it 
we're really you know that the, the overall package of that dynasty you know the bulls um dynasty was so great for basketball and you forget mm. now that the nba wasn't anything you know no. it, 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 it was in the doldrums you know yeah it was um, a poor cousin wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. So, i mean, yeah. I mean it, it goes a step further okay. Imagine, we'll see what they did for the city you yeah know, that, that, what they did for chicago and the long-term um, effects for Chicago was just so grand and that's where I kind of to me I just don't and I, I sit in, in numerous governance roles in sport and I just see we're so that that little book that tends to grow in size every year uh, and we're so wedded to it and mm. I don't know I think that you need to have a a special set of circumstances that enable a little bit of flexibility with you've got to have parameters and salary mm. caps are awesome for keeping you know competitive tension and a light but there's also got to be some flexibility to make sure that your business grows and yeah you can't yeah you, you can't always just be closed off well yeah, it's interesting with the sorry, all blacks. sorry yeah. you go. it's interesting with the all blacks right now because you could argue that you know on a much much smaller scale that say richie mccaw it over the last or, you know the last decade or the decade or whatever it was that he was in was sort of our version of uh, uh, you know he brought the all blacks you know people forget that the all blacks were at their lowest ebb when he first was in the, the captaincy role you know, they were mm. very popular. They, they people thought they were greedy and overpaid, and there's a whole lot of bad press. People forget all of that. Mm. You know, he pretty much turned that around, that image around, and brought what he managed to do with the All Blacks was he brought the history of the game. He, he, he didn't isolate people. He didn't he didn't do it at the expense of the people behind him. He actually brought them all with him. You know, so and you've got Jock Hobbs and you know Sean Fitzpatrick and all these guys. Not a word bad word to be said about him. And you sort of <clears throat> look at the rugby right now and you sort of think, shit, if, if ever, and not only rugby, you know, all the sports, if ever there was a need for a char characters like that to step forward in their sports uh, and sort of to try, because there's going to be the business of sport going forward. I, to your point, Budgie, you know, trying to, trying to run a, a, a live event these days is going to be, you know, virtually impossible, you know, since for the terrible future. I remember the first time I met Jock Hobbs, actually. Great, great, great New Zealand he was, eh? Um, uh, John Graham. So John Graham was on our my board. He was my board chairman. And yeah. I just started at this organisation and I was, a, I was I still am a, a massive Hurricanes fan. And John Graham says, oh, Hurricanes are playing Auckland. He said, um, do you want to come to the game? You know, good old DJ. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. And I had no idea. I didn't really click who John Graham was. And so I rock up fully wearing full Hurricanes gear, you know, <laughs> complete, complete super fan. And I, and I get my look at my pass, I go, oh, that's pretty flash. And I'm, my wife's with me, we walk in and we walk in. And the next minute, I'm sitting right in the middle of Auckland rugby. I've got, <laughs> I've got um, BJ Williams on my right. I've got Sir John Graham on my left. I've got Jock Hobbs behind me. And I'm the only guy, and Dalton and everyone there, and I'm the only guy wearing the Hurricanes gear. And, and we won. <laughs> very proudly too, mate. And I lost my voice from shouting so much, and but I turned around and I, and I met Jock Hobbs, and he shook my hand and said, "Yeah, good on you, son." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Memory. Memory. yeah. Anyway, uh, but anyway, yeah. to you guys, I guess from a sports perspective, is, you know, how do you, you know, because if you think about. Well, we talked about it a little bit, but that's last week, didn't we? You know, kind of going. We've got we've got a couple of sports in New Zealand that get a lot of um, a lot of attention, 
uh, and obviously funding and things like that. And then yet we have some of the we have the best rowers in in the world, you know, and other sports like that. And you kind of go, you know, what's fair and equitable? Because you you could argue that that the rowing team does, you know, will do as much as the All Blacks for New Zealand in regards to financial GDP or whatever. But it's still significant um, to to what we do. And how do you make that fair um, in a way? But also recognise talent, you know, or, or what what talent brings yeah. to the table in regards to growing the sport, growing the brand, whether it's your business, um, you know, you, you know, when you get your superstar on your team and they take your business from you know a million turnover to two million dollars turnover, mm-hmm. of course you want to reward them, right? Yeah. Uh, because the more they do, the better it is for you. So it is, it's attention, isn't it? It's it's one of those things. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'll keep watching the series and see see how I feel after the second one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But those people are gold, right? In your in your team and in business, yeah. like a good team, a good a, a good performer in a business. Like I've only got 10, 10 staff, you know. One one really good performer makes just changes your whole business. And, and vice versa. yeah, and vice versa. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just incredible the impact, right? Um, but I remember playing cricket teams were like that, you know. Like when you got the majority of your team genuinely engaging and being performers, that team was a great team. You know, there, there was not much could stop you. But when you only had three or four of you who were like that, it was just so much harder. You know, just wasn't enough momentum to offer up. And so that's why watching Jordan the other night, I, you know, you, I would, you just would love to play, just to, just just be around his droppings, you know, just to pick up the juice, you know, the sweat. It was like, it's just... Those people, um, you know, I played with a few people like that back in the day, you know, a couple of teammate, team members and teammates, and they just lift you, you know. Um, the whole I mean, is, is this our Jordan of New Zealand? Slow the butt belt, mate. Hey, wait, B, can you just put that up? I just think, I didn't quite see it. B, can you just put that, put, put that back? Shut up, You've now got full screen. Can I ask I always wonder... Oh, here we go. How he wants a signature deal. <laughs> uh, I, I, I did have a massive uh, fandom going on for Dion when I was a kid, to be fair. But, uh, um, what was it like when you first were in a PlayStation game, or back then a Sega game? What was it like to see your name um, with kids uh, playing you all around the world? Highly offensive, because the first time I saw it, I was bowling medium-paced donkey drops on one of the easiest to hit. So it was, like, oh, it was just highly visible. I've wiped it from my memory that I was even in one uh, budgie. <laughs> I can distinctly remember as a kid playing at opening the ball and down there. <laughs> it was like they, they, uh, yeah. There's only enough room in those games for about one player in each one, one or two players in each team. Unfortunately, like pawns. The rest of us become pawns. No, but. Yeah, oh, I mean, oh, honestly, it, it, you know, the the short amount of um, renown that I had, it, it's good and a bad thing, I think. Like, you know, in business, it's been really good. Mainly, people always ask in business, was it useful or has it been good? But it's only really been good for not not for not for what people I don't think would think. But the reason it's good is I've I've felt I felt natural confidence to ring people up and ask for help. Right, and and <clears throat> that was the single most beneficial thing i think from having had some renown or having had success in that mm. previous sport the th- single biggest thing was i just didn't hesitate to pick up the phone and ask for help to someone mm. but but for the flip side of of it 
is, you know, when I worked at 42 Below, the first job they gave me was to do um, corporate vodka sales. I had to go out for four months and sell flog vodka at Christmas time to all these corporate. And nothing breaks your pride than walking into a, some corporate middle management guy who, who didn't really think much of your bowling back in the day. <laughs> and you got the chance to listen to your whole pitch for 20 minutes and then at the end of it just go, you know what? Nah. <laughs> and it was just like I had to do that over and over and I was just terrible at it you know but the point is is that in sport everything comes to you you know like um and you end up because you're trying to protect that little bubble that you're in you end up sort of blocking people out and sort of almost creating a barrier between you and people because it's and in business it's the complete opposite you've got to go out and get everything you know you've got to go out and knock on the mm-hmm. work and I found that the biggest challenge to change that around, you know? It's mm, good, man. Anyway. So, Corey, what do you think? Um, I'm going to pick, I'm going to bring us back to um, small businesses. I don't know why, it just seems like a cool thing. But what do you think? We, and you touched on this in the first one, first old rope we did. Well, it was kind of a new rope there. It's becoming older by the week, our rope. But, um, <laughs> um, but Dion, you, you picked up on it. And I really enjoyed the conversation. I guess. Like we talked about the fact that we, we, we've got through, well, we're, getting, we're starting to get through sort of the infection and all that sort of stuff, we believe at this stage. And then there's the business realities uh, that are financially going to hit potentially and for some businesses, obviously. Well, I think that's the reality. The mental thing, you know, I, I, yeah. and I it's the thing that probably plagues me the most at the moment, I guess, in my thinking is, is kind of like, you know, how is this going to affect um, some of the stats and some of the realities, that, you know, like, like violence at home, you know, we, you know, um, you know, family violence, or and I don't want to be on a downer. I, I, I just go, you know, I, I, I don't know. How do we reshape or refocus ourselves? And I think sport has a big part in this, by the way. So I think there is a bit of a segue there. Um, but you know, how do we get our sort of iconic New Zealanders or New Zealand in general just to refocus on the things that really make a difference, which is people's lives around family violence, youth suicide, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think sport comes into it, but. I, I, yeah, that's the thing that's plaguing me the most. So I think that's going to be the biggest hangover from something like this. Mm. And, and yeah, and that's what worries me the most, actually. I think well, finding it, a sense of belonging is going to be so important, no matter where. Yeah, mm. that that's going to be in work. It's going to be personal. It's going to be in family. It's yeah, right the way through. And um, yeah, whether that's sport, whether that's food, whatever it is, that's you know that helps navigate your you know your sense of community your sense of belonging i think it's just going to be so critically important and mm. um, as soon as we can open up some of those things I'm, I'm obviously biased with that but i think as soon as we can get back to uh, being able to live those experiences that make us feel full and make us happy i think are going to be pretty important and um mm. yeah I, I think that does need to be prioritized just as much as the economy does yeah i agree yeah that's yeah. wrong yeah. it's weird i heard um you know the grant robertson talking about um helicopter you know money and things like that there was one just a conversation had come up and it's weird i that really played that comment has played mentally on me i like i, I don't know why but mm-hmm. i there's something about the dependence the, the dependency of, on what or the, the expected dependency that's going forward when even at this point the government's talking about you know help handing out free dollars i to me, it was a really stressful, a bit, I've stressed on it because it's sort of like, you know, this dependence on the government or dependence on external. And I, I feel like there's that, that has a bigger impact on mental health 
than people give it credit for. You know, like I think people just want to feel useful and we just want to feel like we're earning our dollars. We just like want, want that because that gives you a real sense of providing, gives you a real sense mm. of, um, you know, achievement. All of those really little things that you take for granted and when they're <clears throat> taken away from you, that creates a mill pond. And I, I, I do, I, I think you're right, Bruce. I, I think we have to be really, really careful that we make sure we're aware of mm. keeping people stimulated and, and giving people opportunity to earn that back, you know? But it's um, that wave of, of, you know, you're talking about the first one of the health roles first, and it's like a short term thing of six weeks call lockdown, and then this, this, this business thing is going to be, you know, a couple of months or year, whatever. But the, the long tail is the, um, relationships, the community, the people, the mental health—like that—that can last years and a lifetime for all these moments that people are having right now, right? The relationships are breaking down and all the rest of it. And you know, I, from right at the, the get-go, and I think I talked about it in one of the other shows—is I put a thing on LinkedIn. I was like, it was March twenty-fourth, and I was like, oh yeah, nine months time. Ha ha, it's gonna be so many, you know, Christmas Day babies, all the couples at home, yada yada yada. And then first comment was like, yeah, and and increase in domestic violence and divorce. And the end sales like shit. And then I talked to Lisa King, and then she's like, you know half the kids that we feed with eat my lunch they go in home is the danger school is the safety shit and then you start thinking Mm. of all these other things and that that's not a they won't be affected if they're safe from from covid they are then at school and their living situation might be the same but what it means for the lives that get split apart and the relationships that go this way and the amount of you know other long-term mental thing it's it's the long tail on this is that is the actual Maybe that's the biggest silent killer of this, potentially mm. this whole thing, right? Yeah. And it won't be potentially just medical. So I, yeah, and I, it could I be. I think those health benefits right. are so interesting. Oh, sorry, boys. Uh, those health benefits to me, like the that there's going to be more people affected with their health than those affected with COVID nineteen, and I think that's kind of the piece that has been missed at the moment. It's yeah, it's the mental health. It's at yeah. Um, yeah, let, let, let's hope it's not domestic violence and the like. Yeah, there's 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 far bigger ones than than just the virus and. Mm. Understandably, the virus is getting so much of the attention, but I, I do think that there needs to be that real focus on on our on our overall health because that's um yeah the the pathway out of this is is long and and I think that's going to be our real battle. But the thing could be from a brand new. So you go, you go, Bruce. I was just going to say there could be an opportunity here because you know I've I've, worked, I've run a couple of charities and I've sat on a few boards of a few charities that do some incredible work and and um. I can be highly critical of the charity sector, and and and, and my criticism comes comes from, you know, um, well, I remember when I was when I was CEO of Canteen, for example, I stood on Grafton Road and I looked at our building and our staff. We had one CEO and a financial director, etc. And then I looked down the road, there was child cancer, and they had a building and a CEO. And just down the road from that was Ronald McDonald House, and they had a, and and we're all out there hunting. I mean, there's 36,000 charities in New Zealand, and and don't get me wrong, there's some really amazing work out there but you kind of go you know we're only four and a half million people if we could somehow collaboratively get together and go you know what we're just not going to let the second virus come through which is around these sorts of things i i don't know i i just think we're a bit sort of it's i think it's a real challenge to our social side of new zealand i think i think i, I think it's a bit shit to be honest with you i i think i think we 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 actually need to see this as actually this is a pandemic in itself in our country and and, and i think it's only going to get more and um Somehow they've got to we've 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 got to freaking turn that thing around, and so it could be an opportunity, right? Well, I also, I also, um, I, sorry, I also think it's like anything with these things. I think Bruce, it's it's like <clears throat> who can we affect? Well, we can affect our own household, yeah. 
Yes. Um, so, and we, then we can affect our own immediate businesses. Um, and that's, you know, that's a pretty good start, right? That's, you know, let's just say that's 50 people, 60, 70 people each. 100%. You know, right there, you know. Um, yeah. And so I just think we just got to start at that. You know, I was just, as you were talking, I was just thinking one of the great things about this lockdown has been I've lost a bit of weight. You know, I've been an hour exercise each day with my kids at the park. Actually, going to talk budgie, about that because first, first old rope, you were just looking a bit heavy on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slightly morphing into you, Bruce. I've got, like, um, if I wear my glasses and just like paint a little bit of. You miss it, miss oh, it hat, bro. Hat and headphones, bro. Just well, normally I, have, I don't have this here. It's just this is, uh, this is lockdown here. Can try from disaster, just do a bit of mascara. Oh, I could just like, yeah. I can actually kind of pull mine out. <laughs> When I, I, I can retire when I get the hair product that grows it back, right? That's, uh, oh, that's, I'm, oh. I'm an investor. Um, but, uh, I hate to the, finish the, us off so, soon, uh, uh, Dion, my last, but, but my yeah, last go for point, it. My last point is um, I think that one thing I can do is I can encourage my staff to take or give my staff an hour a day for fitness, exercise, mental right. health. Yeah. But see, like that's it. exactly what I'm saying is, is how do we how do we start could we come out of this and all of us take on sort of an effective altruistic perspective? And it might be start small. It might be just at home. Um, we're going to try and have a dinner at the table once a week or twice a week. Um, at my workplace, I'm going to actually um, put, you know, put a, work with an umbrella or something or, and, and provide mental health support for my staff and pay for it, put, put a couple of thousand dollars, whatever it is to it. Could it be as small as that? Because I think at the end of the day, if we just look at it in regards to EBITDA, sales in and sales out we don't actually put the human capital investment in that space even if it's at a small business like yourself um dion um then i think the 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 effects long-term effects on on your businesses but also your community would be huge and that's that's i guess what i'm saying is that come out of this and think of think of your bottom line but uh, absolutely you've got to do all that i get all that but i think the human investment is going to be another key thing yeah um i think what the What's the it? cool thing is is if you rewind back five or ten years the the um, mental well-being budget wouldn't be there. The John no. John Kerwins, the Mike Kings, the Craig Hudsons, all That's these right. different vehicles—they've created enough talkability to be able to talk yeah. about it now. There's a vehicle for that, and not that it's yeah. the new entrepreneurship that it's called cool to talk about mental health and whatever. But I feel that it is very clear that there is enough awareness around this issue now, and enough talkability with those that actually matter to be aware of the longer tail. So I think we should all be, I guess, hopeful and, and a bit more forceful around the, the then what's, right? Which, I, which yeah. I think is pretty good. And as the four of us, us start with exactly that attitude, Dion, what can I do right now and affect mm -hmm. in my circle? Um, then probably between us, we're probably gonna affect a couple hundred people, right? Exactly. Um, that's a freaking start. Yeah. Budgie, last yeah. words. You've you've had some some great banter today, mate. I just yeah, yeah. well done. Nice to meet you, man. It's been good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah cheers, mate. Oh, He's not I, He's not you, just... you, you lied. <laughs> oh, I, I just got questionable friends, mate. Um, uh, one thing that you said that, that sticks out to me is you said there's thirty six thousand registered charities in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how many of them rely on trust funding to for their annual operating oh, procedures? And I, uh, yeah. yeah that's an industry that has been wiped out more than any of us. I'm, I'm pretty sure no one's down at the pokies betting at the moment. No, um, right. And so, yeah, the, the hurt coming out for, for that industry in general coming up as, as well as your wider ones that that gambling industry uh, does mm. support. There's there's some pretty scary roads ahead um, for, for a lot of us in that space. So um, a lot of work to be done at that club and community level, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Think every week we need to wrap it up now, but we need to do recaps on every episode of The Last Dance. 
every time. We need can a lessons learned. Can okay. I just can I just finish by saying I yes. just think that Bruce has really lowered the bar with that <laughs> screenshot. I just think like Sorry. that's Sorry. the right <laughs> I'm I'm gonna spend the rest of the week just going researching Bruce to try and find something. Oh, there's plenty. He plays he plays <laughs> the clarinet. Well, I've got some. I'll, I'll talk to it. Bring it on. I'll get some. Bring it on. I'm up for. Oh, there's there's a see if you can find it. There's a particular shot of me and Paula Bennett on. Like, <laughs> And it is the ugliest shot of me you've ever met. And my kids pull it out all the time just to just to make me feel terrible. I look terrible. So if you can find it, you can show it. Wrap, I'm not getting involved in this because Robert and I have got some terrible ones on each other. And so I'm just going to stay well clear. Man, you're a great mate, Robert. I freaking love you, fella. No one is ever going to mess with me. I've got every. I, I mean, I'll go down first, but I'll bring all my mates with me. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, Dion, finish us off, buddy. Uh, just stay cool out there, you know, like a couple more weeks, right? Let's hang, hang tough and um, look after each other. Mm, Love awesome, you, brother. Shop boys, good, good banter, good yarns. See you. Cheers, Cheers guys. Bye.